Today's amazing episode of the Ryan Russillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs. Like a GM putting together their very own roster, you need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agency award-winning mobile app, helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings us A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high speed Wi Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more. Book direct at lq.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. The plan for today we're going to do a lot of football and a little basketball and a little life advice as well. On the football front, Diana Rossini, known her a long time, excited to have her on. We've been trying to have her on for a while now, but she's just so busy. But she's coming back from New Orleans after the Taysom Hill win, the Taysom Hill decision. She's been covering the Titans. She has the Titans Colts this upcoming week as well. So we'll get the backstory on all the stuff that was going on with Titans and Baltimore because that was a really good win by Tennessee against the Ravens. And we'll do some free agency stuff with Bobby Marks. Apparently agents complaining deals are being pulled, deals that were offered being pulled off the table. The Detroit, um, <laughs> we're not going to do an hour on Detroit and their offseason, but it's just a bunch of different offseason stuff. We'll do some Detroit. We'll do some um, Gordon Hayward, a bunch of it, a lot of the different, just basically it's it's not specific to Detroit, but it's about pricing in the first few hours versus pricing later, you know, Toronto, Lakers, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol's market, what that meant for Aaron Baines. So Bobby's going to do a great job because he did this job for a long time and then we'll do some life advice. So let's go. Weekly awards. So here we go. The first one is the their real and their spectacular award. That's for our Indianapolis Colts. Now let's face it. The Colts are maybe a tough buy-in throughout much of the year. You're like, oh wow, that Colts defense. You know who's good is that Colts defense. And then people kept saying it. And then some people would say it, be like, hey, you know what no one's talking about is that Colts defense. And then it kind of became everybody was talking about that they have a really good defense. I myself will call myself out because it's my podcast and it was my take, that when I watched that Cleveland-Indianapolis game a few weeks ago, I felt like Rivers was doing the angry throw thing. I think we even brought it up with Dilfer where you know he ended up having three picks in that game. It was a bad game. And I'm like, man, I just don't know. I don't know. And that's not just, I'm not making the mistake of watching one person throw a pitch and thinking I know their entire career projection, which some people have done. But that was after watching Rivers a bit and feeling like, I don't know, just something seems a little off. And he's been better ever since then. So Colts coming in to this game against Green Bay, the reason I bring all that stuff up is because it's 28-14, Green Bay at the half, and you're thinking, 
hey, I thought everybody was talking about this Colts defense. But it's also not fair to do that where a defense that statistically is up there with everybody else is having a bad game, and now somehow they're frauds, and the other nine games don't count because that's not fair to do either, right? Okay, so the Colts coming in. Number one in yards per game allowed. Number two in passing yards allowed per game. The only reason number two is because Washington is number one, and they're trailing against everybody, so nobody has to pass anymore. That happens. Don't fall for it. Tricks bad teams will tell you, or people that just aren't good at talking about stuff will go, you know, for all the negatives this year, Washington had a really good pass defense and it is a throwing league. You're like, no, they were losing almost every game and no one had to actually throw against them in the second half. All right. So don't fall for that stuff. So the Colts really probably number one in passing defense, number four against the run, number four in points per game allowed fourth in DVOA, all the top five teams now in DVOA and some of the other metrics it's those five teams where last year it was statistically New England and San Francisco just off the charts compared to everybody else. New England, it had more to do with their schedule. San Francisco, it had more to do with being awesome on defense. So there are some numbers for you. Let's keep going. Philip Rivers, some of the numbers aren't great. He's 20th in QBR, middle of the pack and a bunch of other things. Um, he's seventh in completion percentage, but you know what? Completion percentage is just off the charts now. Anyway, it used to be, hey, you got to be north of 60. Now everybody's 60. 30 out of 33 quarterbacks that qualify right now for completion percentage on the season. 30 of the 33 have a completion percentage at 60% or better. Go back um, almost a decade ago, 2011. The season ended with 17 quarterbacks. Double, So we're almost double the number of quarterbacks completing over 60% of the passes in today's offenses and with the games that are officiated the way that they are. Um, one number that I did like is I kept looking for Rivers numbers that I would like here uh, because he has been better since that Cleveland game. He has a, there's a number out there on kind of like the third down air yards. And that's always the indicator for me where are you helping your team? Or are you just putting up? Because now 300 yards doesn't even mean anything anymore. Completion percentage doesn't mean what it used to mean. What are you doing on third down to the sticks? Are you throwing it short of the sticks all the time? Or are you throwing it past the sticks? Are you trying to make throws? Are you constantly taking the easy way out so that you know your numbers look all right, but you're not really taking a chance on any winning plays? Like You can't dump it short of the sticks all of the time. Side note, line to gain is just being used left and right. I don't know who bought stock in the phrase line to gain by the play-by-play guy talking about getting a first down short of the line to gain. Oh, and he gets past the line to gain or the line to mark every or the mark to gain. Everybody's talking about that now. I don't know. It's just me. Watch a lot of football. So maybe you didn't notice and now you'll notice. So anyway, back to our topic here in the award. <laughs> Philip Rivers, there's this Alex rating, which has to do with air yards. I'm not going to get into all of it, but it's essentially like, where are you in air yards of the third down marker past or in front of it? And Rivers is 11th there, which is better than I thought it would be. By comparison, Cam Newton's last. Cam Newton is last. It's a running offense right now. It's clear New England doesn't trust Cam. Cam can't see pressure. He doesn't see blitzes. It's going on his entire career, and it's still happening in New England. But on third down, Cam's just not figuring out. Now, everybody at the top doesn't necessarily mean that they're a great quarterback, and everybody at the bottom of this doesn't mean that they're a bad quarterback. Mahomes is actually really low in this yard marker of as far as the third down stuff 
because if you watch Mahomes in this offense, they're throwing so many things sideways now, and they're doing so many different things that are completely ridiculous. Like Mahomes doesn't count. Mahomes being lower in this category means nothing to me. So, all right, so Rivers is kind of middle of the pack, but that's the whole point because it's this defense, because this defense has been arguably, in some stats, the best. I don't know that it's the best, but it's certainly in that group of top five. And then it's 28-14 at the half. 90% win probability, by the way, for the Green Bay Packers. Has that ever happened? Has anyone had a win probability that high and then lost the football game? It wasn't just that the defense found a way to get off the field. It was also that Rivers and a combination of this offense was able to put together enough long drives where Green Bay never even had the football. So this is a very complete win, even though you're going to look at the final score and think, well, you know, they gave up 30 points in this, so how impressed should I really be? You should be really impressed because this tells me that the Colts are a real factor, not to the level of Kansas City. It doesn't feel like anybody's going to be to the level of Kansas City. We're just not accepting it. Kansas City, by the way, terrific win in their um, game against Las Vegas where Derek Carr was so good for so long in that game. I don't give him any criticism whatsoever at the end. I got to check into this because I don't track spotting of quarterbacks throughout an entire game, but I feel like the Raiders get Mahomes off his spot as much as anybody in the two games that I've watched. Now, Mahomes also likes to move around, and the way he can spin away from pressure, just a full 360 spin and then get into a throwing motion, is absurd. We've never seen it before. He likes to move around. They do a bunch of different things with him anyway. But I'd have to imagine, like, he is off of his spot as far as planning and throwing as much against Vegas in those two teams as it feels like I've seen him against anybody else. And sometimes I think he just does it by design. Although Mitchell Schwartz, they're terrific offensive lineman who's a uh, guest on this podcast not with him so shout out to him so that's just the theory I'm not even sure if it's right on that deal um, Kansas City as I'm shifting to Kansas City we know defensively they're middle of the pack special teams have been bad so the offense is good enough and they're nine and one and it's kind of like eh, all right we're probably just gonna expect them to win so maybe that takes away from a team like the Colts but as of right now uh, I think you have to look at the Colts as a real team even with that four seed which is a little bit lower than you think and the fact that you know, that last drive for Rodgers to tie it up was incredible. Vintage Rodgers spreading it out, throwing it all over the place, reading the defense perfectly, and then they get the fumble. So this game could have gone a couple different ways, but it's 7-3 and three in a comeback win like that against a talented team like Green Bay. You know, I'm not picking him to win the Super Bowl, but I'm just telling you, it feels like you have to take him more seriously. The Jeff Green Award. Uh, I have one for the NFL. My NFL Jeff Green, that goes to Corey Davis, Titans wide receiver, now in his fourth year. You may remember uh, Corey, Western Michigan, number five overall pick in 2017. Row the boat. Row the boat. Be elite. How are you doing? I'm elite today. How are you? Uh, I don't know. Just My name's Steve. I'm just checking in on you. Oh, well, my name's PJ, and I'm elite. Oh, uh, is that what we're doing? Like, I just, I'm good. I've got some errands to run in the afternoon, but. Um, what do you do for fun? Corey Davis had his option, fifth-year option, declined. He is on the season. I think he's on track for his best season with Tennessee. 39 catches, um, 550 yards, three touchdowns, but he's never gone over 900 yards. He had 891 in his second season, 65. He was awesome in college, and it just hasn't really happened for him um, as a professional receiver. And as I mentioned, they decline it. I still hold out hope which means I'm probably wrong. And I know recently Corey Davis going through a lot of stuff personally, um, losing his brother. But if we look at the full four-year evaluation of Corey Davis, I never give up on him. I see moments where I thought he was terrific. He had a nice second half against Baltimore. A.J. Brown, though, is the stud receiver. And his game-winning touchdown and this one against Baltimore was incredible. So there you go. That's my NFL Jeff Green, Corey Davis. <laughs> 
The Joey Galloway Award goes to Joey Galloway. What is that? It's for anyone that decides to call out a team and then be weird about it when the team calls you out. I know Joey a little bit, worked with him, wasn't super close. Um, you have a lot of the athletes that ended up at ESPN that like, are somehow above ever having to do any of the radio stuff. I think sometimes agents put it in there. Like, we couldn't get Randy Moss to save our lives, and he was on Florida State with Danny Cannell. We were just like, how come he can't come by for like eight minutes and just do something with us? And we're like, nah, you're not going to get him. And I think the agents are smart. I would, if I represented former athletes to become broadcasters, the first thing I would do if he signed with ESPN is like, okay, now what I don't want him having to do is answer 30 different radio shows calls to see if he has a time for an eight minute phoner um, to talk about whether or not Tom or Bill's legacy has been tarnished at all. And by the way, we'll get to Tom Bill rankings. Don't you worry about that. So Galloway. When they were talking about Northwestern's potential playoff team before Northwestern's nice win against Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin sucked in that game, and it has to do with Northwestern's defense. All right, and they also have Ramsey, the transfer from Indiana, who's a good quarterback. He just is a good quarterback. Northwestern undefeated, and you have to start factoring them in. But I don't know. I mean, the spread would probably be double digits against Ohio State. It wouldn't probably, it would definitely be more than 10 points against Ohio State. So Galloway, let's not forget too, he's a Buckeye. He went to high school. He's from Ohio. Okay, he's as Ohio as it gets. And so when Reese Davis asks him about Northwestern potentially being a playoff team, he goes, yeah, there's a bunch of Reese Davises out there, which, look, we all like Reese a lot. Is not a compliment if you're a college athlete. Um, I've been watching Northwestern play, and, and honestly, I mean, they got a bunch of Reese Davises out there running around. It, it's High not the prettiest thing in the in world, and it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very athletic, Reese. That's why I said that. Uh, and so Northwestern lost their shit about this, and we saw the video of it all week long. Reese Davis, Reese Davis, I'm Reese Davis 1, I'm Reese Davis 2. They win this game against Wisconsin, and you know, afterwards, Fitzgerald's like, oh, the fighting Reese Davis is, and the guys are all yelling. So they built it up huge. They're selling shirts, the whole deal. So then Matt Barry doing the raps, and I like Matt, known him a long time. They're like, okay, Joey, go ahead. And Joey decides to go a completely different angle on this. Here he is. Yeah, let me say this. Reese Davis is a pretty good athlete. I think so. Well, and, that and was a compliment smart. to Reese Davis. Exactly. And he's That's a really smart guy. Do. What do you guys say? I got to say, congratulations, coach. What else? Well, why, why, what'd you say? It's for the, for the I team. said that they have a bunch of Reese Davises who was very intelligent and athletic. And stop the run and play good defense. Yeah. They play good defense. And create takeaways. Yeah. How about that? That's what, they, that's what Reese Davis does. Tough guy on Tuesday gets called out on Saturday, and now you're walking off it. All right, that's just so weird. And, and I'll, trust me, there's, there's no education like the education of being around um, – former pro athletes that especially the guys at one point were nasty. Okay. And at one point, Joey Galloway was like one of the scariest receivers in the NFL. And I believe he was still telling Levitard he could run like a four, three and Galloway's older than I am. All right. I like some of my stats. I don't think there's any way Galloway's running a four, three and they wanted to have him. They wanted to fly him down. I believe Levitard did fly him down to then run and they were going to bet him. And he was like, yeah, done. No problem. And then I think somebody else stepped in and was like, now we're not going to let you have it. And I was on team Levitard for that one. He's like, look, if you're going to sit there and start saying you're running a four, three, then you're going to show up and run a four, three. And by the way, how would Galloway have kept track of any of this shit? Although I kind of love the idea of that. Like, are you so weird as an athlete that you're still timing yourself going, yep, four, three, still got it. Let's go golf. But Galloway needed 
Like you can't sit there and tell me that Reese Davis is smart and also pretty athletic and that it was a compliment and deliver it with a straight face. Like, what are you doing? And again, there's so many of these dudes, especially the receivers, where they're just different. And sometimes it's cool. And sometimes you're like, what? Like, sometimes people would have a problem. I never had a problem with Chris Carter ever. I'll never forget, like, one time Chris Carter was talking about God, this is stupid, but he was talking about competing in sports with Greeny, and Greeny was like, I'll beat you in tennis. And Chris Carter was like, no. I remember talking basketball once with Chris Carter, and he looked at me like, how dare I even think I would be allowed to dribble on a court that he was on? And I was like, What's, like what, are you, what are you talking about? Like, you don't think I could play in a pickup game with you? Like, I'm not telling you, you can't guard me, but like, what? And Greeny brought up tennis and Carter was losing his mind about it. So there are times when you're the alpha, the all-time alpha, and you have these amazing athletic resumes that even when you're called out in pretty spectacular fashion like Galloway was, he couldn't just be like, yeah, whatever. And by the way, I don't think anybody goes and looks at Northwestern over the years as like just athletes, freaks running around all over the place. So yes, he was making a point and he was insulting the team, but he's also doing it because he's an Ohio State guy. We're talking about Northwestern as another Big Ten team, another Big Ten team that I'm sure he has zero respect for because Northwestern hasn't exactly had the history that you would want there. So there's all these different factors, but I was just kind of surprised after that. Like, you just got to be like, not weird about it. Go, yeah, whatever. They beat Wisconsin, five turnovers. They just start making excuses for the outcome instead of trying to get us to believe that you thought that saying that a bunch of college kids are Reese Davis's is somehow a compliment because Reese is more athletic than we think. I've worked out with Reese. You know, he's keeping it together. And finally, I can't believe you guys still like this. The Bill Tom rankings. Kyle, do you remember what they were last week? I think we zagged on him. Yeah, we put Bill ahead last week. Yeah, we put Bill ahead because he controlled the weather. He beat a playoff team in the Ravens. Former playoff team. Huh? Did you know that? Nice. No, I'm just saying. Like, did you know that as of right now, the Ravens are out of the playoffs? Yeah, that's why I said nice. I like that. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, we gave it to Bill, even though Tom looked terrific against the Panthers. Here's what I know. I'm home on a Sunday. Bill's working. Tom's not. Can't be argued. I know the schedule says that Tom just hasn't played his game yet, which is Monday night. But, you know, a lot of people were working on Sunday. Tom wasn't. Facts. Bro. Bill won, Tom two. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can 
Talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Before we get to Bobby Marks on NBA free agency, not that long ago, going out with friends was a little too complicated. You used to worry about where you'd go, what you'd look like, and who you'd invite. But now getting together for a beer with your closest friends isn't so complicated. These days, it actually feels more like it should. You can just be yourself with your friends. Maybe that's the way it always should be. And as the original light beer, Miller Lite has always believed in this. That's what Miller time is about. Um, Boating. I wish I had a boat, but I don't. I have the Miller Lights for the boat, though. So I'll, if I ever get a boat, I'm already going to have the Miller Light that's ready to go. And I think that whenever you have a Miller Light and you're on a boat, there's just other people on other boats that are like, I bet you those guys never run out of gas. I bet you those guys clean the boat properly. And if I had to buy a used boat, I'd want to buy it from somebody that loves the great taste of Miller Light. I think all that makes sense and checks out. In a socially distant world, enjoying a Miller Lite with your favorite people looks different for everyone, but staying connected is just as important. I would say uh, safely enjoying a Miller Lite. For me, we got, we're going to have a poker night over here with a couple local neighbors. We're going to have Miller Lights going. The Cantena will be in the background. So yeah, we have a poker night scheduled for charity. And it's just going to all be Miller Lights, and everybody's very excited about that. It's going to be incredibly safe as well. Miller Lite, great taste, with only 96 calories, only 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller Time, you can have the original light beer delivered, and that's what we're going to do, by going to MillerLite.com forward slash RR and find the delivery options near you. If you like the pod, get a case of Miller Lite delivered, man. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Okay, Bobby Marks, former front office executive, now great on the coverage of the NBA with ESPN. So you know how all this stuff works. Give me your at least uh, initial reaction these last few days, some of the deals being announced, but just kind of 
your biggest takeaway from what we've seen over the last few days? Portland. I think jump off the bat what Portland's been able to do, Ryan, with um, all their moves. Uh, as I, I said yesterday on SportsCenter, the $40 million club of Cantor, Rodney Hood, Derek Jones, uh, Carmelo, Harry Giles, um, that group basically built up that depth. I even went on a limb and said they're probably the second best team in the, in the Western Conference on paper, right? Paper doesn't get you anything, neither does an offseason trophy. But I really liked what, uh, what Neil O'Shea was able to do with, um, with the Trailblazers. The second thing is, is that, you know, I, I, we're almost like we're, what, three or four days in the free agency, and it feels like we're in the mid-50s in the second round of, of the NBA draft, right? Like, it's almost over. There are guys scrambling for jobs. I mean, I said last night, 90% of the roster spots are filled, and we're a week away from camp. And then the third thing, if we're going for a third thing, I think it's how many agents probably misplayed the market a little bit where they were presented an offer um, and wanted to shop it a little bit. And by the time that when they came back to take that offer, it wasn't there anymore. I, I mean, that's probably number three that, um, that we've, uh, that I've, you know, figured out or learned about in the last, you know, three or four days here. So how does that work then the pulling of the deals? Take us through how that would work. Well, there's one or two ways you could do it. You can actually offer a player a contract and then, you know, ghost them, <laughs> you know, don't pick up the phone the next day. And I'd tell you, Ryan, I've heard from four or five different agents that has happened where basically the team has presented an offer. And then, um, you know, when you're trying to get in touch with them the next day, nobody's answering the phone at all. And they basically have moved on to that next player here. Now that agent is, is, uh, is scrambling for uh, another deal. The other thing that could, you know, that we've heard, Hey, we like your guy. He's one of two guys. If we don't get this player, we like him. But what happens is when they don't get them, they move on to that third option, right? That third or fourth option here. So you've got a lot of agents right now scrambling to find, um, find jobs for these guys. It's felt like some of the deals where we heard the terms that were announced, say three years, here's the money and all these different pieces. And then it's like, okay, but now we have to do all these other things because we only had like four teams with significant cap space. And so I get that, yes, it can also be the team that loses the free agent says, okay, well, now let's work on a sign and trade now that you've decided to leave us. Like Jeremy Grant went from $60 million to, okay, here's a bit of a sign and trade. There's people still holding out hope in Boston that they're going to get some piece back for Charlotte. So has there been more of that? As you mentioned, most of the roster spots are taken, but it's because of this condensed offseason, so it just makes sense. But are you seeing maybe more of, let's get the player, let's agree in principle and now let's get to work on all the other stuff because there's been a few deals that it's felt like more of the news has happened days after the actual terms were announced. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers are a good example, right, as far as what they had to go through with, with Marcus Gasol just to get him when trading out JaVale McGee and, and structuring to get the Gasol, uh, Gasol contract on a two-year deal because they needed, they needed the money, you know, and then they take back Alfonso McKinney and Jordan Bell and they guarantee McKinney's full and Bell's at, um, Bell's at 580. So... Um, it's like, yeah, we're going to get your guy. Um, but now we've got to figure out, um, you know, how to money works. A, a great example is that big trade with Drew Holiday, right? Drew Holiday goes to Milwaukee. Steven Adams goes from OKC to New Orleans. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, we're short, right? We're short three to $4 million here. How do we make the money work? And then you see, you saw Kenrick Williams, Zylan Cheatham. Josh Gray, guys who probably were not going to get jobs, all of a sudden get their first year guaranteed. You know, Kenrick Williams got two million guaranteed to be thrown into this deal. 
Uh, Zylem Cheatham got 1.5. Josh Gray got 1.5 just to make the money work, and they'll probably wind up getting cut in Oklahoma City. Yeah, that's good work. That's the old, uh, what was it, Keith Van Horn, who just kept getting yeah, well, deals? Yeah, well, and they changed the rule. Because yeah, of him, here's right? a, here, and Well, here's the great story. We're going back Nets days. We we did the Keith Van Horn. Um, now, that was you. Well, guess, that was your front that office, was, yeah, right? So yeah, you needed, for, for Devin people Harris. that don't remember, yeah, you needed to do yeah. the Devin Harris deal, Keith, so you were trying to find money to add in. So go ahead, take it Keith, away. But Keith Van Horn hadn't been with us for like four years. I think um, <laughs> we had him, and we still had his rights. We were short like five million dollars. We were doing. We were trading Jason Kidd for Devin Harris, right? Right around the trade deadline, I think of '08. So we said, "All right." We called David Falk, and we said, "We need Keith to be part of it." And David Falk, he's like, "Well, I don't know if he wants to do it." You know, I'm like, "David, it's five million dollars." So Van Horn agrees to do it. He came to the practice facility, Ryan. And basically sat in the media room and read a book for two weeks. <laughs> and then the league, the league called and they said, we know what you're doing. So we had to make him go on the treadmill once a day. And someone from the league would come over and watch him do it. So they changed the rule. I think in the 2011 CBA, they changed the rule where you basically had to finish the season with that team. And then if you weren't, if you like the following year, you basically lose the rights to trade them. And, that's how Keith Bogans made $5 million. Keith Bogans was part of that, that um, Pierce Garnett trade because we were short $5 million and, and Bogans got a $5 million payout and, and to, go, to go to the Celtics. So those guys who finished the season, you never know when you're going to get a, you know, an extra you know, $2, 3000000 million. That's great. So they changed the rules. So what, when the NBA guy would come by to watch Van Horn on the treadmill, like, were you guys all laughing? Was Van Horn laughing about it? Well, yeah, but it felt like Keith was a little inconvenienced. But and I kept saying, Keith, you're getting you're going to go home in about two weeks. We're going to wind up cutting you. So was Van Horn getting pissed? Yeah, because I think he was almost like semi-retired. But he flew in. He was in Colorado, and we flew him in. And uh, as I said, he like basically would just sit in the media room and read a book for like four <laughs> hours, and that like that was the practice time. And then he would go on a treadmill and work out, and then he'd go from there. But Ryan, one one more thing, and you brought up on your last podcast, I was listening about those trade exceptions. You know, Boston, there's a chance that this could be a signing trade for Hayward, right. right? So they would create the biggest trade exception in NBA history at $28.8 million, bigger than Mike Conley. 75% of those have never gone used, right? There's been 790 trade exceptions and 75. Hey, it's good to have, but I think we do make a little bit too much about these things. We make way too much about yeah. it. You want to know why? It reminds me of like, I, there was a GM, I'm not going to name him he's still a GM, but we started talking one day and he started selling me on this player that he had overseas. And the player, by the way, never ended up playing in the league and he just kept pumping him. And I, I realized what he was doing is he was trying to pump him up to me so that he would hope that I would be like, Hey, you know, who's playing really, really well. And there's just always examples of that. Okay. It's just going to happen. I'm sure Billy and you guys would do it to media members when you were trying to get some information out there, try to get an angle, trying to build urgency. We're seeing it now where teams that are striking out on free agents, then they'll go to the local media member and say, oh, we were the second pick, which yeah. is like the biggest loserdom <laughs> stuff ever. But then the guy writes it because the GM just called you to tell you. So you're going right. to write it and it's going to get yeah, clicks, we're so close. Hey, right. we're close with LeBron in 2010. We finished fifth. <laughs> Top <laughs> you know five, 30 you know teams. You know what that I got? It's 23 wins that year. <laughs> but trade exceptions are like this. They don't exist for transactions. Even as we went through it and, and you sent me your whole spreadsheet and I was going through all of them, I go, okay, 75% not being used. 
I thought it was like 90% not being used. And then when you look at the way it's used, the names are like, oh, that transaction? Like, I didn't even know if people remember this guy's even in the league. So I'd say 5% are like transactions that are actually significant. But what will happen is if Boston does a trade exception, if they get it back on the Gordon Hayward thing, then they're going to talk about it. And the Boston media and Boston fans are going to talk about it as if somebody's just going to gift wrap you a $30 million max player that you would actually want on your team. So can you tell us, give us the layman's version of of fully understanding what the trade mechanism is why does a trade exception exist and how does it work and how does the math work and and obviously yeah. there's expirations on all that stuff yeah i mean you have a year to use it from the time you do the trade so i'll, I'll walk you through so last year um uh, memphis traded mike conley to the jazz and they created a trade exception of 25 million dollars because of the salary difference it's basically right. and a so sa- salary that's because difference. that salary is not coming back. It's not like Correct. 30 million out for Conley, 30 million back. It, that's the So I just want to make sure people understand. Yep. So they created that exception. So when, when Golden State needed to trade Andre Iguodala because D'Angelo Russell was coming in uh, in a sign in trade, they found the Grizzlies to slide that $17 million Iguodala contract. And then all of a sudden, now we made a lot to do about Golden State, right? $17 million trade exception. What are they going to do? So they created that. They had a year to use. It got pushed back to November. And now you see basically Kelly Oubre being traded into that money, right? Now, all of a sudden, Oklahoma City creates a trade exception, right? It's like the never-ending thing of passing it along. The only way you lose a trade exception is if it expires or you go under the salary cap, right? And then that kind of just goes away. Would you have done the Gordon Hayward deal if you were running Charlotte? No. I wouldn't. And I wouldn't do it because we, we pay for players based on what the past is and not what the future is going to be. I'm scared to death about years three and four on that. I mean, that is a big number. I mean, four for 20 um, and it's 28, I think 30. I think it's going up there. I get it. I know where Charlotte is. They've never been able to attract big free agents here. Um, but I would not have. Um, I would not have done that. I think Gordon's a good player, but I'm scared about you know certainly the injury history of the last couple of years. Um, but that's a, that's a big number for me. And then you go out and stretch Batum, right? I hate the I hate the stretch provision. I mean, I get it. Sometime you need to use it to move it, but but when you got nine million dollars sitting on your books for the next three years and you can never move that off, um, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, I've seen it. I feel like, and I, I know you keep track of all this stuff. I feel like the stretch when it first was introduced, it was like, okay, you know, let's get rid of some of these guys. And it was nasty. And then the books got better, although the books are kind of going the other way now. There's a lot of books now where you're starting to look going up. This is kind of getting back. Because I remember when we were younger, it just felt like every team had some horrible number on their books. No, Josh Smith just came off. In Detroit, Darren just came off in, in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, but then there was there was times where it would be like a six million guy was stretched to create room for a mid level, and then it's like okay, two million is right. nothing. You know, it's an extra guy, and we can just give a minimum roster spot. I don't remember a thirty million dollar stretch anytime recently, and so that means Gordon's deal is not four years one hundred twenty million; it's four years one hundred forty seven yeah. million. Yeah, and I've if you had me on a, I could say look. You don't get anybody there. All these East teams that are bad, then we've heard this too. Like Atlanta is going to be more aggressive, so they can be the eighth playoff spot. You know, Chicago still thinks they have a chance. I don't know what Detroit's doing. Um, and I'll, I'll leave, go ahead, feel yeah. free to jump in later on what the hell Detroit <laughs> is doing. Um, 
you know, the Knicks, I think, actually were patient for the right reasons this time around after not missing out on people. Like, I, I think that tells me the Knicks, you know, aren't going to do some Knicks types things with their approach uh, to this. And people can make the joke about not getting anyone in free agency. But if you're Charlotte and you're stale, I have sympathy for you as a stale franchise. But if you not being stale is drafting mellow for star quality, and maybe mellow works out, all right? Maybe he does. But when I read the combination of headlines regarding the Hornets, it's, Star power potentially with mellow, okay, whatever, and then you know needed to attract somebody. If the bill for you not being stale is 147 million for an injured player that just hasn't been the same in four years, then that's a bad decision. Like if you just frame it that way, no one should ever be doing that kind of transaction. So I agree with you. Yeah, I um, you know what it is too. What you get to, you know, like rebuilding sucks, man. You know, like you basically, what happens sometimes, Ryan, is you get to like year three and it's like, you just want to wave the white flag, right? Like, what can we do? Like, like something quick. We've already built, you know, we've, we've drafted um, Bridges in Washington. We got Graham in the second round, which is a great pick. Um, you know, Terry Rozier last year. And now we're still in that 30 to 32 win team. And like, where can we get to 40? You know, can you get to... Um, you know, can we get to, can we get an eight seed, a seven seed and maybe just build off that? And, um, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to be Denver, right? Like it's hard to be some of these teams that just draft, um, draft well. And they just kind of, and you hit on Jokic or you hit on Murray at, you know, pick seven or eight. Speaking of Denver, um, that, that brings me to the Jeremy Grant thing. I understand much like every one of these transactions, I go, Hey, Jeremy Grant, look at the guys he's defending. You know, he's improved his three-point shooting. Um, he's this, he's that. When it came in at three years, $60 million for Detroit, I was yeah. pretty surprised. And my argument would be the shooting's not all that. I think he has moments where he completely disappears. Even as a huge guy, he'll have some bad rebounding games. And I honestly, I don't understand Detroit's roster in general. Are there times where you know, well, I think you already know the answer to this. I'm sure there are plenty of times where you in the passive front office be like, I can't believe we're signing this guy for this number, but this is the way it works. But what was your reaction to Grant at 60? Well, you mean, um, what's, what's the kid's name who is in Charlotte and played at LSU? Um, we signed talking- him to, who in the past, there, there was a kid um, who Char- who was on Charlotte's roster? We had signed him to like a four year, thirty two million dollar contract. Not and Brandon like, Bass. Oh no, um, I got Tyrus find Thomas. It. Tyrus Thomas. Oh, was we it? You signed, guys, yeah, you guys gave him four for thirty two. We wow. gave him four for thirty two. We went out to lunch after we made the offer, and I was in the back seat of the car with Rod Thorne. I'm like, oh my god, we just offered this guy four for thirty two. I got. I, I hope Brian Elphis calls me back when we get back and says Michael matched it. And we get back and goes, yeah, Michael's going to give him four for 35. So we're, and I was like, thank you, Lord. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that was the year when we had all that cap space. And here's a lesson with cap space. And, and it didn't, and I, I know I said this Friday night, and I think I didn't make the people in Detroit very happy when I did it. There's a, you don't have to use it all in two hours. You, you, you don't, you, you know, there's no limit. There's no time limit here, right? Like you don't have to do Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley and some other players here, the reclamation projects with Okafor and Josh Jackson and what you need, you waved and stretched Dwayne Dedman and Rodney McGruder, all these moves here. Like you, there is a, there's going to be a team that's going to want to dump a contract here. And I look at the grant signing, like where's he going to, I guess he's going to play the three, right? You still got Blake. 
You know, what do you like? Where, what are we doing here? And it's funny, and I don't want to kill Detroit, but I, you know, I'm updating all my stuff every day. And like yesterday morning, I'm like, oh my God, this roster is worse than it was like three hours ago when I left here. Right. And they hadn't even made any other moves. Like, like, so I get it. You're trying to like recreate the wheel here a little bit, but sometimes you kind of overthink, you know, during the process. I'm still excited about Tyrus Thomas because. Oh, um, thank God. Because I think he was out of the league about two years later. Yeah. So were you sitting there being like, hey, Rod, he's not good. Like we've seen it in Chicago. Like I held out hope and I GM absolutely hypnotized me at Portsmouth when we were talking about Tyrus because it's like, look, you could bring up the ball size, length, that his athleticism is off the charts. I'm like, yeah, but it was kind of like a weird late LSU run for he and Big Baby. That was that team. And it was a fun team. But now he's going to be able to do all these different things. And he didn't do any of them in Chicago. And then uh you still like, I guess that's, I just, I could just tell, I yeah. can tell, like, I don't know if that's what Detroit did, but 60 million for Jeremy Grant's too much money in this market. They're just different, even though the wings and all this kind of stuff, like there has to be a point where you go, okay, yeah, I like him, but this is also, by the way, his fourth team, um, yeah. which usually is a bit of a sign that you go, wait, why is he on a bunch of different teams here? And granted, his start was not very good with Philly. He wasn't even close to what he is now, but I'm not quite sure he is what Detroit thinks he is. You know what Jeremy reminds me of is one of those col- those those college players during the NCAA tournament that you're watching. You haven't watched college all year, and then all of a sudden he pops up like, "Holy God, this guy's great!" Like it was um, who is it? Malachi Richardson, the kid from Syracuse, right? Yeah, he had a great tournament, guy. and then yeah. like all of a sudden he goes like pick sixteen, like that. I mean, and Jeremy played great in the bubble, and he had a nice year, and and um, and, but he fit that team, like he was perfect for for Denver, and now he's going to be on you know on center stage and like. You know, from what I know, De- uh, Denver basically offered him the same amount, but he wanted a different role with the with Detroit. No I mean, kidding. I would, yeah, mm. I would. I would. I mean, to go back to Denver and be a top three team and still get that twenty million dollars, but because you, know, you have a you know you were promised a different role in in Detroit, man. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I almost texted somebody in Denver and said, "Jesus," but I'm so glad I didn't send that text now. Because then that yeah. person would have had to have been like, yeah, that's crazy, crazy number. And they <laughs> hey, would have but been they like, get, hey, but they create a trade exception out of it. That's great. <laughs> they, got a, they got a trade exception. So that actually leads me to my my most up and down player, perhaps, of the modern era, and that's Serge Ibaka. Serge, yeah. at the beginning, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's incredible. And then he became a two guard on offense. And I went, eh, I don't really like it that much. Um, even though I guess, you know, Presti, the arguments he kept, he kept Ibaka over Harden, and that was probably a mistake. Then Ibaka goes and gets paid, and he's completely off the radar for a while. I thought what he did in Toronto in the 2019 finals was incredible. I thought there were a lot of guys that weren't comfortable out there to be expected in a big spot like that. Serge was comfortable. And that, so I've gone from like, oh, this is exciting to this guy's so overrated to completely off the radar to, hey, you know, he's pretty good. So when he's getting a deal, it's weird out here in LA. Clippers fans are upset maybe because Manchez won six man of the year. You know, right. like, oh, I would rather had that. Now he's on the Lakers. So that adds to it. I'd rather have a Baca for two years. Yeah. And at that number, I don't even think it's debatable. And it feels like more people think I'm wrong. No, and I think with with, uh, with Montrez, I think with for the Clippers, they basically kind of drew a line in the sand where where the number was going to be, and if he walked, he walked, and it didn't make a big deal for them if um, you know, if he went to the Lakers or if he went to another team, right? I mean, they were not paying him fourteen million dollars a year. I mean, that's I mean, you know, if would he have come back at the at the nine million dollar number? I I don't know that. 
Um, but they made, as I said yesterday, they made a great save with Ibaka because if they didn't get him, you know, I, we were looking at uh, Justin Patton, Patrick Patterson, um, Joachim Noah, Cabin uh, Gelly, the kid they drafted a year ago as their bigs, and there wasn't that many, you know, $9.2 million free agents out there. So uh, that, saved, um, that saved their offseason because he was great in Toronto, this, and especially in the playoffs this year. Um, so you can play him at center, you can play him at the four, you can have him come off the bench. He's a, probably, he's already accepted that role there. Yeah, his, honestly, if he's on the court and it's no Marcus Gasol, I think Toronto beats Boston. But again, that's, that's also saying that you're going to have to play Ibaka that many more minutes. So maybe the minutes, it doesn't match the production, all that kind of stuff. But it was, Toronto was two completely different teams against Boston when Ibaka was out there versus Gasol. And then I felt like Toronto, there was a moment where you're thinking, okay, you've lost Ibaka and you've lost Gasol. What are you going to do? What did you think about the Baines part of it? Well, Baines, Baines got lucky, right? Because if Marcus Soul would have been back to Toronto, Aaron Baines would have been looking at the minimum. That's where his market was. So he basically played the domino game where um, Gasol going to the Lakers opened up that mid-level for him in Toronto. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's another guy whose market, you know, in the beginning, he thought he was more than probably four to five million dollars and, and got and got but got lucky at the end of the day with a seven million dollar deal because he was looking at the minimum from Golden State. He was looking at the minimum from the Lakers. Um, but Gasol triggered it. And yeah, I mean, he's a he, he had a good year when when um, Aiton was suspended. He got nicked up a little bit. Um, you know, they're thin at the bigs in Toronto. Um, he was probably the best available that was left there. So it, it was a good, you know, I think I'd rather have Baines in with the Lakers. Then I would have Mark Marcus Saul, and no, and that's no offense to Marcus Saul. I just thought, no, you're right. Year, Mark Mark is just not. Yeah, look, I thought man. he I don't was. Know. I thought he was. I thought he was cooked, man. I thought he I was agree. cooked in the playoffs here. So we'll see. But um, but I'd rather I'd rather have Baines there. But um, but I liked it for Toronto just based on you know how many you know, there were so many guys off the board. There wasn't that many left. I mean, it was either Baines or Hassan Whiteside or Alex Len. You know, guys like that. No, it's a good point. It's a really good point. All right, so if you listened when I was doing some of the stuff off the trade exception, I also pointed out the draft pick part of it. I think you'll actually like this question. Are we becoming really um, too enamored with Sam Presti and his collection of picks here? Yeah, I think this well, is right up your alley. Now you're like, finally, somebody gets it. That's why we did that deal with the well, Celtics. Well, it's, it's a fun story for us, right? I mean, we like set, what is it, at 17 right now? I mean, like, I think, I think the picks – from the Clippers and the Rockets are, could be potentially really good. I, I think they can, but who knows, right? We don't know. Yeah. I mean, whoever it is, is going to be some 13 year old that's playing bad, like, you know, shooting hoops in his driveway right now. Like that's when those picks are going to come fruition. So like the trade exception, they are great assets to have, but there's so much of the unknown, what they eventually turn into. I like, I love second round picks. I love hoarding second round picks because I think they have more value in trades. Yeah, I mean, the, the Clipper pick has a lot of value. But, like, you know, Brooklyn, I'll give you an example real quick. Brooklyn made a trade for Damari Carroll like three years ago to take his money back, and they got a future two from the Raptors. Well, they turned that, that, that two into, like, Bruce Brown, right? Like a guy that maybe could help him. Um, and I think that's where teams are trying to hoard, you know, second-round picks for deals down the road here. But, yeah, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in Oklahoma City and what Sam can turn 
16 first round picks into. Maybe it's James Harden, Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka, and Russell Westbrook again, but we just we just don't know that. The problem is, is when you have multiple years with multiple firsts yeah. and you just think, oh, I'll be able to trade them. But I think there are times where teams are like, don't anybody, don't anybody trade with them. Let them yeah, let them be stuck yeah. with it. Do you is there a GM collusion against other GMs? <laughs> well, I, I don't know about uh well I would say the um this sounds like a I, yes. How do, by I, the how way. do I say this? I would say, and I think I, I think Rob Plinkett does a great job in LA. <laughs> I really do. Like, this sounds like but it's I gonna think, be followed by I, I think there else. I think there are certain general managers out there that hold things against Rob from when he was in the agent business um, and will not, will not, for, you know, will not, you know, forgive him from it and have held that over his head as far as are stubborn to make deals. And I think it's childish. I think it's foolish here and stuff like that. But I do think there are some, some, some GMs that who have that opinion. I mean, here's a good example. Like Rob Plink finished what, like eighth in the, like the executive of the, of the year voting. Yeah, I think yeah, he got no, like one first place vote or something like that. I mean, there's the, there's the sign right there. No, you're right. I mean, Rob did ended up doing a much better job as opposed to after the Davis trade. Remember like people, people that were kind of on that LA beat too, were down on him, which, you know, it's bad. I'm like, wait, oh, he was like is, a pinata, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, he doesn't like, know any of the step rules. On, like, step on, oh. step on up, swing, swing away. <laughs> Speaking of not knowing, what happened with the Bogdanovich thing? Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, Milwaukee hard capped themselves, right? When they, when they um, did the Drew uh, deal? In a, uh, well, they were going to hard cap themselves in the Bogdanovich trade because it was a sign and trade, you know, that hard caps you. And right. taking Drew back at his $26 million number, and then you, you got to add another four because Drew had unlikely bonuses, basically put Milwaukee in a corner where they're at $14 million. So I think his agent had an idea that, you know, like if there was a framework from a player standpoint where Milwaukee, where he can go and present this to uh, Bogdan, like, hey, this is kind of what they have to offer. You know, if it was on, you know, the first day of free agency or whenever it was, um, and he probably thinks, hey, I can make more than that. You know, I can get more than that on the open market. And he gets four for 72, 18 flat from Atlanta on an offer sheet, trade kicker, player option, you name it. So I think that's a big reason why it fell, um, why it fell through um, is because of the hard cap. I think if there was no hard cap in place, Bogdanovic would probably be in, in Milwaukee right now. Okay, makes sense. Uh, that's Bobby Marks. You can see him all over the place, and we always appreciate his time. Thanks, man. Thanks, Ryan. Diana Rossini will join us in just a moment, but what's watching football like for you on Thanksgiving? Are you able to watch the games? Are you sneaking scores onto your phone? Speaking of sneaking, I remember back before all this FanDuel stuff where you could just get the app and take care of it. I would sneak into the bathroom and call someone. Be like, all right, give me. <laughs> like, you go to the bathroom a lot. Are you all right? Like, yeah, yeah, no, stuffing's just, just getting to me and trying to get an over on this Lions game. Sorry. Sorry, dad. However you watch the game, you can bet all the action now on FanDuel Sportsbook. And if you've never bet on FanDuel before, now is the perfect time to give it a shot because they're giving new users a 25-to-1 odds boost on any NFL game Thanksgiving Day. That means you can bet $5 and win $125, okay? Get it? 25-to-1. So, you could do this. You could just go, all right, Texas Lions, Washington Cowboys, Steelers Ravens, 
pick one team to win 25 to 1 odds. Feels Cowboys right now, right? Feel Cowboys to you, Kyle? Whoa, that's crazy. Really? Okay, I, I would go Texans. Deshaun Watson, what he did to the Pats uh, yesterday was All right, ridiculous. Enough. Enough. What? Are you surprised? Oh, you're getting upset? Did you still, can you cancel that Cam Newton order or no? <laughs> you're the first person who ever said that, but um, no, I would never. I still okay. got a Josh Gordon jersey and hanging in the house, so not going to do that. By the way, Hembo of Get Up tweeted this out. What? Uh, Washington. There's no good Washington stats, by the way, uh, except for that pass defense. Watson, meaning Deshaun Watson, has accounted for 88% of the Texans' offense by yardage. It would be the highest mark for any player in the season over the last 10 years. The only reason I don't say Texans in this one is because I actually can't figure out who the Lions are. I know they're not good, but they always have a slightly better record. They're four and five coming in this week. They're four and six now, but you're like, wait, they had a chance to beat Carolina with an XFL QB, and the, the Lions were going to be five and five. I also saw some interesting tracking stuff on the Lions where they basically completely changed from man defense to zone defense. I don't know. I just saw it. I'm sharing it with you. You can share it with somebody else this week. Be like, what's going on with the Lions? Be like, you know, if you look at them defensively, they're definitely more of a zone team than they were in the first month. And you're just going to blow people's minds. Okay, FanDuel probably wants us to talk about them again. So let's get back to FanDuel. I'll go ahead and just say Texans. Give me Texans. It's just something about the state of Texas. I'm on the Cowboys or Texans here at this one. And maybe the Steelers just do for a loss. Ravens coming off a tough loss. You know, they, maybe they're a little bit more fired up. All right, so that's just one of the reasons FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook app. It's easy to use. It couldn't be easier to use. You just go on and be like, same game parlay. Hit me. Lines, hit me. And you're in it. You're already in it. There's so many of these places are so hard to navigate. Just the actual navigation of the app makes them better than everybody else. On top of the payouts, on top of getting your money quicker than everybody else. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with the promo code R-Y-E-N. That's me, Ryan, to get 25 to 1 odds on Thanksgiving Day. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Must be 21 or older. Present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. New users only. Must wager on designated boost market. Deposit required. Max bonus $125. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Colorado, 1-800-9 with it. Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Tennessee, Redline, 1-800-889-9789. Tennessee, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. West Virginia. Diana, I was trying to think of who is more unpopular than Taysom Hill on Twitter People really don't like him. I don't think they like his contract. And I'll admit, like times when he comes in to do the gimmicky thing, when Drew Brees is on the bench with third down and it doesn't work out, then everybody's super mad about it. But Peyton was defiant about this one, and he was going with Hill. He gets the win over Jameis. So what went into the decision? Give us all the backstory. You were down there covering this game, so tell us everything. Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that this wasn't a decision that Sean Payton made that was easy. He's really confident in all the decisions he normally makes. Whenever you're talking ball with him, he it's, he just believes in everything he does. Uh, he's not a very whimsy guy. There's no gray area with him. And uh, I had an opportunity to talk to him like about an hour, two hours before kick. And after covering him for you know four or five years now, that was probably the most uncomfortable I've ever seen Sean Payton. Um, and it was because he was nervous. And, and I, I asked him off camera if he was. And he said, look, I'm always nervous. But I, I'm nervous for him. I'm nervous because there's a lot of pressure. And 
you know, a lot of people want me to be wrong here. And, you know, he, he referenced, I've been calling plays for Drew Brees for 15 years, you know, with, with, with the exception of a handful of other quarterbacks, we speak the same language. This is a, this is a whole new art in a way with, with Taysom. Um, so it was the most candid I've ever seen him. And, and he was comfortable with me talking about it, uh, or at least talking to me about it. He knew I was going to speak about it on TV. Um, but I, I, I appreciated that there was some human element because sometimes these head coaches want to act like what they say is Bible and, you know, they know all. Uh, so there was certainly a gigantic sigh of relief when he went out there, was able to actually prove that he, he's a pocket passer who can run. Uh, but going back to how it came together, uh, he, he, he pretty much shared with a lot of people that he and Taysom had a conversation in the spring before they even gave him that contract. Uh, that was, it was Taysom going to Sean saying, I want an opportunity. I want a chance. This is what I'm, this is what I want to be. I want to be the next starting quarterback for the saints in the post true breeze era. And Peyton made a deal with him that he would do it. And he stuck to his word. Now there's also part of me that thinks, okay, it was Atlanta and he completed 18 passes, but I, my expectations for him weren't super high because of the little glimpses that we had seen. And so I don't know if I'm rooting for a conclusion here where I'm like, oh, he still really wasn't that good. So how much of that should we factor in to them getting the win and him looking, I would say, okay? Yeah, I, I would categorize him as okay. I would still say he was better than what I expected. Um, you know, so we're I on think? the same page there. From like those little pieces that we'd seen, Like I was like, I don't know, we'll see. And that- Look, he muscles the ball a lot. <laughs> He's a big dude. Like even watching him in warmups, so funny, you know, with COVID now, they have us high up, higher than what I, where I normally stand during pre I've seen the interview shots, Rossini. I've seen, like, you're just dominating. You're just above. These, <laughs> poor, these coaches have to look up at you as it's getting yelled so at. So ridiculous. It's like the only time where I feel I have some power, though, because I'm like, oh, I'm it's, big. It's a very power move. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> um, which I did notice yesterday that Peyton didn't look me in the eye at all, the entire interview. I mean, this is someone I see all the time. I'm comfortable with him, and I was trying to figure out what – What's, what's on his mind? But I just think it actually was part of the whole drama leading into the game, which is he was tense and uncomfortable. Um, but, oh, by the way, the entire pregame was weird as hell yesterday, okay? So let's just start with the, I, the fact that I'm at the Superdome and it's quiet, okay? There's yeah. fans, but it's not like it normally. Superdome's insane. You, you've been there before. It's, it's loud. It's one of the best places to ever watch a football game. And I enjoy covering the Saints because they, they have the best DJ. Like, there's just, like, all these, like, little elements that make it fun. Um, so then you have warm-ups. You have – I can barely spot Taysom because he just looks like a linebacker. You know, he looks like a tight end even. He's just – I'm like, where is he? And he's wearing long black sleeves and those – just reference, like, my black yoga pants. <laughs> you know, it's just like – you know, you couldn't really spot him. Uh, but I could see Jameis. So I was like, oh, there's Taysom. Um, you know, and they're going through their warm-up and they're doing this sort of wannabe Drew Brees warm-up. I've, we've all seen Drew warm-up on Monday Night Football a million times. We've all seen the video. And he just looked just like it, but just like a really bad version of it. And then you have Drew Brees about 40 yards away on the other side of the field, pacing up and down, going through mental reps while this is happening. 
And then they go through their, you know, the, the traditional, you know, warm up where Taysom takes reps with the first team, which again, that's even weird to see him as the quarterback, uh, as the starter there with the first team. But then he goes out in, in, with the punt team too at the end of the practice, at the end of the warm up. So it's like, what is happening? Like, and, and then I thought maybe they were doing that to kind of mess with the Falcons for watching because this was the thing. They wanted to keep this thing quiet all week long, which we found out on Friday because inside story here, it, it was getting out. Every insider had it. Saints were pretty much begging us not to put it out. And eventually somebody hedges. Once the one insider hedges, then everybody goes and we all went. And, uh, but they really did not want to give the Falcons the advantage knowing that Jameis and Taysom are just two completely different dudes. So now that it's it's done, we saw that Peyton retweeted Roddy White, receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Peyton is there. There are times where I think it's great when people in like powerful positions can remind us that they can be just as petty as everyone else, which I think happens probably more and more. Um, but it plays in perfectly to him being nervous in a way that's about Taysom, about the decision, about play calling. Now for the first time in a long time, in a very different way. So. I mean, you've been around Coach Payton a long time. What do you think his level of satisfaction, even against an Atlanta team, to clearly for him to retweet it was on his mind the whole time, and that's the first thing he does after a game, which I actually think is kind of weird. Um, but just give us more insight on that. That's why you and I get along so well, because I share in a lot of your opinions, and and and, and in this case, I do, um, because I know him as well, and, I, and I've seen how he leads. It's why they like, it's why the guys like playing for him, though. It's because he's not afraid to be vulnerable in those positions and be immature and be petty. Um, you know, it's one thing to retweet that maybe a day later, but he l- just wrapped up with us. In- <laughs> I, I was like, so that man, it was on his mind. The whole, like, like you know, that's and, what, and le- by the way, it's not like he follows Roddy white. So did he see that and sort of pin it? Like uh, second we win, I'm going out there and retweeting that. And, and the fact that even, he's caught up in the social media um, obnoxiousness, you know, like, what? don't you have something better to do than retweet right away? Like your win speaks for itself. It's just, you know, this is a guy that's been mentored by Bill Parcells, who also has a level of heady to him as well. Sean way more. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, this is who he is though. There's tons of stories that players won't get into it with me. And they won't give me the details, obviously, because they like to keep stuff in house. Um, you know, where where they do things on the road after wins, like they celebrate in their own way or against the other team. I, I know, I know. One day I'll tell you. I'll I'm putting you. my hands up right now because you're not giving know, us sorry. enough. I know, you're just I teasing give you, the hell out of us. I know. I want to give you all the juice, which really leads me to believe I don't want to sound like a like a fangirl of the Saints because I'm not. I've, I've actually I feel like I've criticized them way more than I've celebrated in the last year um ryan do you remember this summer when the the biggest issue they had going was the fact that drew Brees, you know was wasn't supporting you know the black lives matter and i remember van pelt had me come on that night and he was like you know really curious with how this would resonate with these players i was like oh my gosh this is the best thing to ever happen to the New Orleans Saints because these dudes bounce better than anybody. They've lost three times in the postseason. 
in a row, three years in a row. They know what it's like to be around shit. And granted, it's it's different when when it, this is like social issues and important and actual real life stuff. But they 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 revel in it, and, and I think that was the best thing for them. And we forget about it because now they're winning and they're doing so many great things. But that's how that season started. No, it's a good point. It's a really good point because it goes into you're like, oh, how are they going to respond? How are they going to respond? And they've played uh, incredibly well. Okay, your other, I would say you feel like, I don't think you're more of a Saints. I feel like you're, you're more Titans now than you've been in anything Ugh. else. Is that, well, geez, I just got a nasty eye roll from you there. Oh my so. God, it wasn't, I just think the Titans stink. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard <laughs> because they find ways to win, you know? And, and, they, they amaze me at times that they pull this off. When you look at their roster, you look at their injuries, every week it's something different. Their defense is trash. Um, they're, they're, you know, we, we talk about Petty. I feel like the two best examples of Petty yesterday was, was the Sean Payton retweet of Roddy White, but also the whole John Harbaugh and Mike Rabel, uh stepping on the logo, um, which to share some insight on that, do you care? Absolutely. I love this. Okay. Um, so I guess it started with Malcolm Butler was standing on it. And I guess <laughs> this is why I do kind of like the, the, the Titans. They didn't understand what the issue was with the logo. They didn't even know that they didn't know what the logo was. They don't even know what the logo is for the Ravens. So this wasn't intentional. This is just them being dumb. This is just, pregame, by the way, just standing pre- around. Right. Pregame, standing around not being aware that, you know, this isn't college. They're just like standing there getting ready to, to, you know, I guess the national anthem was coming up or whatever it was, whatever the order was. So I was told that Rabel's assistant grabbed Rabel was like, yo, you got to get out there because John Harbaugh and Malcolm Butler are about to go at it. So was Harbaugh yelling at Malcolm Butler for just standing on the logo when Butler was likely just standing on it to get ready for the game? Yes, which is what makes this amazing. So, and Malcolm, now Malcolm Ball is like, why are you yelling at me? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, get off the log. He's like, what? Right? So it's like this big miscommunication. Vrabel has no idea what's going on. He runs over and he's trying to figure it out quickly. You know, obviously everyone's adrenaline's going and he's not sure if everyone's going to fight. So he's like, what are we fighting about? And, and he hears Harbaugh say, uh, the logo. And I guess Mike goes, what logo? So it became this whole, like, what? Like, this is your issue, dude. And and one of the players told me that Brable just went, John, just go coach your goddamn team. So that's why in the pregame when he, it's almost, this is perfect. I love this insight. This is amazing. <laughs> because you're telling us, like, now everything matches up. The video matches up perfectly, where Butler's like, what are you doing? And then Butler's like, oh, you care about it that much, so now I'm going to start jumping around and just mocking you. And then when Vrabel is kind of like, what's going on? What's going on? And then as you tell us, once he finds out it's about the logo, Vrabel's just like, whatever, and just waves him away like, this is the dumbest shit. And then that leads to, you know, look, Tennessee pulls it off. So keep going because I don't want to leave out. I don't want to have, I don't want to talk over you and have you leave anything out. So go ahead. No, no, you're, you're, you're leading this perfectly. This is, this is great. But so one of the players said, is, <laughs> is the Under Armour thing, is that their logo? Um, no, I'm like that, like Harry Potter looking thing in the middle. That's the logo. Like 
just the, the idea that they didn't get it and that this other team is all fired up about it. And John Harbaugh is finding a reason to, and, you know, he's obviously fired up. He's been bullied by this team. They haven't been the same since the playoffs last year. I think it all worked. And here's the thing. This is where John Harbaugh made, made a mistake. And I think he's a brilliant coach. I really do. I think he's fantastic. He played right into the Titans. This is what these guys love. They love being the street rats. They love being the guys that nobody assumes. This is why they were able to beat New England, which is why they were able to beat the Ravens last year, why they gave Kansas City a little bit of a run there in the first half last year. So all that did, and and, and uh, A.J. Brown talked about it in postgame, was like, yeah, as soon as we saw like our coaches were fighting, we're like, all right, this, this shit's on, you know? Let's talk more about your Tennessee stinks statement because I – will admit in the past I've had a lot of seasons with the Titans where I go wait they're seven and four I go how how did that happen um how and and now they're better the variable version of these teams are better but the thing that I kept going to you know you go through about halfway through the season I think quarterway of the season you start looking at Tennessee's defense and you're thinking they're what's up with this defense because you'd usually think Tennessee defense first we do a bad job with that we'll like just attach an identity to a team and Vrabel's tough and he played defense and they're going to be good on defense not at all they, yeah, right. We're we're so simple, and it's like actually they got to chuck it all over the field to be able to keep up because their defense has been so bad. They were historically bad on third down defensively. They were over sixty percent converted against. It's a little bit better. It's at like low fifties, fifty two, fifty three. It's still worst in the league. It was it was on pace to be one of the worst we've seen in a really long time. So what is it about this this team like? I don't. Th I think you're being a little harsh, but I think it's actually kind of a, a shock to go. That's right. Like they have a really hard team, yet they pull this off against Lamar, who's kind of hit or miss on some of those drives anyway. But what yeah. did you take from this win, which is still a huge AFC win? They have a good record. Um, you know, AJ Brown's touchdown was one of the best plays of the season. So I think Stinks is harsh, but they're just they're different than I think people expect them to be. Well, they, they they're that team that will step up and play against a team they shouldn't beat and then lose to the Jags, right? So they'll have the, they have the, they have the Colts coming up this week. We saw them face the Colts on Thursday night football where they were actually in control of that game. It was special teams that came in and just messed it all up and blew that situation up. And the special teams has actually probably been their Achilles heel all year long. We've seen Guskowski. He's missed seven now, uh, which leads the league. Eight, I think it's actually eight now, He's, uh, which leads the league. Uh, and missed field goals. You know, a guy that they came in, they paid him a lot of money, which, you know, to answer your question, why, why are you not cutting him? A, who are you bringing in? And B, you paid him, you know, a couple million to be there. So that, that's a tough cut. Uh, Jadavion Clowney comes in. He's the big, sexy free agent. Oh, he's reuniting with Braves. They, they were together with the Texans. He's going to get the best version of them. He's been fine. He's got injuries. He's got bad knees. Like, that's a bust. They bring Vic Beasley in during free agency. Oh, Fred was going to be able to find his passion. He'll get it out of him. They get, they, they just boot him because he's not doing anything. And, and they do have a strong locker room as well. I, I will give them a, a lot of credit. The, the core of that team, is, they are tight. And if, if you're not, and I hate using their, their language, but if you're not a Titan, they don't really want to mess with you. They don't really want you around them. And they pick up on it in practice. And, and you know, guys talk about it all the time. Their first-round draft pick, their offensive lineman, um, Isaiah Wilson, he stinks. And he's he's done nothing. And I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, like, laying in so hard, Titans fans, which, I'm, which, by the way, they are the most aggressive 
uh, fan base out there, which sounds strange, right? Because Nashville's like such a wonderful city and people are so nice and they say y'all and stuff. But like Chris Long and I text about this all the time. Like they come what? for you. Which by the way, he's off the Titan bandwagon and it irritates me because he just, he just quit. Like he just quit them for no reason. And I love that they're winning. And I, I think I'm a, I think about him every time they win. I'm like, Oh, I, he wants back on. I know he does, but defense, your, your, your original question. Look, I, Dean Pease w- w- was the, the defensive coordinator last year. Rabel took over. He's doing the coaching and the coordinating. He's getting tons of criticism in Nashville for that. Like, dude, give it up. You can't do both, but it's the same guys. They're running the same scheme. It's just a different year and they're having just different types of issues. And I'm always going to kind of hold back on my criticism of the coordinators in those situations because Vrabel can't go out there and make a tackle. I mean, I'm sure they would, he probably could actually, but you know what I mean? Like he can't go out there and play hard. He can't do those things that they're not doing. So that's, this isn't uh, the product of not understanding what to do. It's, it's a lot of this has been effort and tackling. Um, which is why they've struggled on, on third down. It's getting slightly better. Slightly I'm team Va- uh, team Vrabel now, though. Though after the game where they beat him, and then goes to shake Harbaugh's hand, and Harbaugh's like, "No." So you just go, "Okay." I mean, Harbaugh has has over the years been one of the sorest losers in the NFL, and he's well, they, a terrific they're, coach. They're great when they win, right? They want right. everyone to know how wonderful they are. And, when and they I, lose, when they lose, they're they're brutal to deal with, and they have been for a long time. And I think Harbaugh's terrific, but that's definitely part yeah. of the game plan down there. Okay, um, I, before we let you go, because you have Colts-Titans, and a lot of us spent probably a good chunk of our Sunday watching that full Packers-Colts display, and people making fun of the Colts' defense, 28 points in the first half, but they deserve all sorts of credit and whatever rivers is, it's probably good enough. Do you have insight on them, whether it's you, whether it's stuff you've heard or leading up to this? I know you probably have a lot more prep to do with this being your matchup. Give me a sense of like what we should think about the Colts in the AFC now. Well, just in this specific matchup this week, it's completely in favor of the Colts at this point. And, and one of just the, 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 I'd say the headline for this is actually the injury situation, which I know is, is, it seems uh, low hanging fruit and perhaps lazy, but it is the truth. They, they have, they have nobody on tennis. I mean, they went into the Ravens game already dealing, they were banged up with 11 guys on the injury report and, you know, two more players yesterday are dealing with it. So it's, it, and, and I know this time of year, everyone's dealing with it, but comparably you look at India, uh, Indianapolis, they're not dealing with anything even close to that. Um, when I talked to Frank Wright on that Thursday night game, before it, um, in the cool talk to them from the stands thing. Um, I was shocked, actually. All I asked him was, you know, how big of a game is this? He's like, if we don't play our best football, we're going to lose this game. We have to play our best. Philip has to be the best quarterback he's been all season for us to win this game tonight. He has to be better, which I, they coaches never like give that much, you know, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, and he did. He went out and actually played really well that night. Uh, but I, I think the problem is, too, timing-wise, I think the Colts are clicking now. I think that they're, they're finding it on offense. And that's really been – this is a team – I mean, this is a, um, a franchise that's been historically known for their offense, as we were talking about before, about how we do this to these teams. But it's really their defense has been you know, fantastic this season, one of the best. And now the offense is catching up here. So the Titans are, I think, meeting them at, at, at the wrong time. And, and I, I, I think the Colts are going to wind up winning the division. 
That was great. I really appreciate the fact that you're just traveling back from your assignment. You were able to do this. By the way, you can follow Rossini at Diana ESPN. And um, yeah, there you go. Locked in for football. So thanks again. We'll talk soon. It's awesome. Somebody actually cares about my stories because no one else does. Now it's time for State Farm's surprisingly great segment of the week. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like getting Trey Hendrickson in the third round and having him lead the NFL in sacks. State Farm agents provide personal service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agency award-winning mobile app, helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our surprisingly great player from last week was Trey Hendrickson, defensive end, New Orleans Saints. Do you know a lot about Trey? You may not. Had two more sacks this week against the Atlanta Falcons. He leads the NFL in sacks. I don't know how many of you knew that. Let's see who he's ahead of. Miles Garrett, he's good. He's tied with him. Aaron Donald, TJ Watt, Bud Dupree. Who's Trey Hendrickson? Well, if you look at his profile, you'll say, is that the guy who's going to greet me at the door at Rush and say, hey, are you interested in Delta? Okay, maybe. Um, But he was at FAU. And he's got a football family. And I was trying to find out more about this cat. And when I Googled him, some accountant's LinkedIn came in. And that wasn't even him, unless I'm like, this guy's the most accomplished football player. Think about this guy. He's so young. He's already thinking about the next thing. He has an accounting profile on LinkedIn while he's leading the NFL in sacks. Two different guys. All right. So there you go. Trey Hendrickson, surprisingly great player of the week. Because prior to this, the stats were not deep. He wasn't even playing full seasons. Um, Now, if you want to come at me with tackle numbers, You can, but as of right now, we're looking at the sack numbers and he has nine and a half. So there you go. Trey Hendrickson, State Farm's surprisingly great player of the week. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Let's get it. I also want to welcome in what sounds like a lot of new listeners to the podcast that fast forward just to this part. I had a friend this morning that was saying, hey, just a heads up. Like, you know, I kind of know where your head's at with some things. I have a sports question here or there. He's like, but I am religiously just fast forwarding to the end first. And if I don't get to the rest of the pod, um, like, okay, but that's that's what we're hearing. That's the kind of feedback we're getting. So let's keep uh, let's keep it rolling. All right. I'm gonna try to do a couple of quicker ones. I don't go I don't go fast on these though. Let's let's not let's not change the scattering report on me. Okay. Hey Ryan, my name is we'll leave it out. And it's come to my attention that most of the people in my life think I'm a bit of an ass or even a jerk. To be honest, this comes as a shock to me. I have a very dry sense of humor and can be sarcastic, but only to people I actually trust or care about. Words of affirmation aren't a big part of the way I communicate, but I believe actions speak louder than words. For example, I've helped many friends and family members move. All right, you go, you <laughs> uh, paint houses and even babysit. I try to do little things like bring in extra coffee when I arrive places or always show up with enough beer for many p- people to enjoy. By the way, that's um, that's a great, great sign because we have a friend that notoriously shows up with nothing. I mean, this is when <laughs> we were younger. No, I mean, wouldn't would like have two beers in his pocket and then drink all of your stuff. <laughs> like, seriously, that's how 
that's how, uh, let's just say it, selfish. And it was just became a thing. And our our group was very good, and we're still very close, which is pretty remarkable, I think, um, with a lot of the different personalities. But like everybody, every now and then, we'll kind of tell each other, like, oh, you know, so-and-so did this all the time. And, and one guy was notorious for just never bringing anything. So, you know, if you think you're saving money by not, spending $15 on a fucking 12 pack. Congrats. But just how about this? Buy the 12 pack and your boys won't be talking behind your back about what a shithead and how cheap you are the whole time. So I would rather just spend the 15 bucks once every few weeks. Okay. Um, so here's the deal. Despite this, many people in my life think I can be too direct and too sarcastic to the point where they describe me as an ass. As someone who seems like a pretty good guy that a lot of people view as gruffy, surly, what can I do to change that opinion of me? I like this line. I've listened since NBA today. I really appreciate you putting out content for people like me to enjoy for free. Uh, my brothers and I say ghost dad. Anytime someone tries to describe a movie and I've shown who's the jerk to basically everyone with a sense of humor. Okay. I think this is a very, um, very easy fit. Well, it might not be an easy fix, but I, I think it's easy to identify. And if you're picking up on it, I know what you're doing. You're making fun of people all of the time. <laughs> and it's your mechanism of like conversing with people. You want to know why I know what you're doing? That's kind of what I did. And you can root it to like, oh, you're gonna, you're insecure. Um, I don't think that's what it was for me. Although nobody ever likes admitting they're insecure. You're like, you know what I have a hard time with? <laughs> I'm really down on myself and super insecure. Because if the guy who's super insecure is doing all the compensation things because he's actually deep down insecure, that guy's not the, even remotely close to admitting that he's actually insecure, right? Um, you usually don't find out how insecure somebody is until you're actually around them all the time. I would think our deal was when we were younger, you either eat or be eaten. So it's a million guys and everybody's trying to out alpha the other guy and you just start surviving by making fun of everyone. So that's what I did. I just, I would get made fun of. And then I was like, all right, now I got to make fun of you. And I'll admit, as you start to grow up, it gets really fucking old. People get really sick of it. So if you're at work <laughs> and you're just constantly just tuning up guys verbally like it, it gets old. Like people don't want to be around it all the time. So maybe that's what you're doing. Maybe that's some version of your dry sense of humor. So does it mean like, so somebody's in the office or somebody's at work and you just go, oh, this guy, you know, if you're just doing that routine all the time, yes, it's going to get old. And the fact that somebody called you out on it, it probably means it's bad. <laughs> like if, <laughs> if somebody actually was like, I'm going to tell you the thing that we all say about you, that's annoying. So just figure that out. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, um, I'm different, but you know, look, if I were 30, I don't know, maybe I, I don't know what age I started figuring it out. And at some point you get a little bit older, you just got to figure out, um, especially when you have something like a show, you have to be more of a leader. Like I couldn't sit there and just make fun of everybody all the time. Although I still did it sometimes. Okay. But let's just face it, Kyle, if I were doing this podcast at 30, I'd be making fun of you all the time and it would get old and it, and I wouldn't, and it wouldn't even be because you're somebody that I should be making fun of all the time. It's this weird deal where I had it in me because I go, all right, well, the only way I can survive with all these guys, like I could just sit here because I never was going to be the guy that was just going to get beat up verbally and just stand off in the corner and be like, I don't feel comfortable talking about this right now. I was going to have to come back at you to survive. And you start picking up that skill. And then the first thing you're doing, whenever you hear anything, the first thing that pops in your head is some way to just make fun of a dude. And you can't, you can't live life that way. Cause it's eventually guys are going to be like, look, every stroke, every <laughs> single swing, you got something to say. Every time we sit down at a bar, every time at the restaurant, you're always kind of like side comment, making fun of this guy, making fun of that guy. Is if if it's to the point where people are calling you on it, you got to just start 
You got to get yourself, wean yourself off of that shit. <laughs> That's funny. I feel bad because it's like, that is Jim Cunningham, who I, who's now works with Sal at Extra Points, but I shared an office with him for like four years. And that is that guy. He's like, nobody would say, uh, ever accuse him of being nice. They would say he's considerate and he's constantly dropping bombs. And I, I enjoyed it because probably because I'm 27, but uh, I feel like I would, I would hang with this guy because it sounds exact. It probably is Jim Cunningham writing the email. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's unless you're just a jerk and and it's not any of those things. So I don't want to assume any like the root of the problem to the conclusion, but it's just what it sounds like because I didn't really realize it. And then I was kind of like, man, you just, just whenever you do this thing, you're like you're just making fun of everybody to kind of stake out your territory like, "Hey, I'm the I'm the guy here." But the real alpha, the real confident guy, the real guy that's in charge you know, you got to build people up. You got to, and and honestly, as I've gotten older, people's shit doesn't bother me as much anymore. I just go, oh, okay, that's what you do. All right, fine, whatever. You know, as long as you don't fuck up my show, that's all. Then I'll have, then I'll have a problem with you. Not you, Kyle. Nice. That was, no, wow. That, no, no, no. This that is, was, so this that is was what always, you were talking about if you were 30? That's the type of stuff you would be doing? No, no. I mean, <laughs> okay. I'm thinking back to like the people that were like, oh, Russell wasn't that great to be around. And I go, well, you know. Usually the people that have had the biggest problem with me are either terrible at their job or consensus like some of the most disliked people in the industry, which has always made me feel better. Like if I gave you the list of the five guys that I know hate me the most, I'm like, oh, really? Good. Good. I feel even better. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, we got a 20-year-old who's lost. Fan for years, 20-year-old student, University of Florida, currently studying to be an actor, whoa, as well as earning a minor in sports journalism. Life has been putting me through the ringer lately, no pun intended. Oh, maybe you're a writer, not an actor, dude. And it's uh, brought me to emailing you. I find myself in a place I've never found myself before. Maybe because you're fucking only 20, dude, not knowing what the hell I'm doing. All right, can we just take another time out here, express it to everybody? As much as I'm not the biggest, like I think some of the mental health awareness Stuff has been great for a lot of people. So that's the most important thing. Knowing that more people are going through what you're going through or have had these moments that maybe they were afraid to share, the openness of it has led a lot of people to probably feeling better about those days that are really tough days. I don't think it's too insensitive to say, I don't know that I want constant updates on how bummed out everybody is though either, right? Now, there's some real similarities here where you are realizing, oh, I got to start making some real grown-up decisions. There could be long-term ramifications for everything I do now as I leave college or get to those early 20s and start thinking about a career or start thinking about all the different things I want to do, okay? So a lot of you write these emails in as if you're the only person that's going through this. So what you should realize is this is important, one, that you you are recognizing that these are important decision-making years, but you're still making way too much of it. You're putting too much because it's the first time you're ever experiencing it. The rest of us that are late 30s, 40s, you're like, dude, we've had we've had multiple times where you start going, okay, what do these next five years look like? What if I do this instead of this? The difference is, is you're kind of self-centered, not you specifically, because it's the first time you're and, and you're just thinking, oh my gosh, like I can't believe this. Yeah, no shit. Welcome to being a grown-up. Like this is life. So to think that you're by yourself, be positive about it, that you're you're you care, that you're aware of it. And I can't, I can tell you to stop stressing about it. I could tell you it's not that big of a deal. All these things are true. You're not going to listen to me. You're just not. 
You're not going to have a moment where things look like they're going awful and you've made all these bad decisions and you're going to go, we're still at a podcast though, back in November, 2020, where he said not to worry about it. So, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. Like that's not going to happen. And if I were your age, listening to somebody else, I wouldn't be listening to that guy. I mean, I'd listen, but I wouldn't use any of it. So I'm just telling you, if there's anything, all of you that listen to this, that are at that stage, twenties, Oh no, now what? Just, you know, relax, relax about it. I know you're not going to, but you are like everybody else. And you're in a good group because like I said, it's important that you worry about this. It's, it's good that you're worried about it because it means you care and it care about your future and you want to make the right decisions, but there's no perfect guidebook. Um, I just wish everybody could find a way to just relax a little bit about it. Not relax to the point where you want to be on unemployment for like a decade and you're like, I'll figure it out when I'm 30. Rosillo said to relax. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, don't think it's just you because probably everybody else on campus, when things were normal that you were looking at, are going through the exact same things. And honestly, it doesn't really go away until I think like mid thirties, to be honest with you. Um, but not everybody's the same. All right. So I find myself in a place I've never found myself before, not knowing what the hell I'm doing and becoming lazy, a consistent smoker, a degenerate gambler. Oh, okay. So you're making awesome decisions here. And someone not as comfortable with his own skin as he used to be. Worst part is I push it all off. Like it's nothing. I'm consistently questioning myself with what I want to do in my life. I took the leap after high school and deciding I want to be an actor. But now I find myself scared of the uh, prospective future in that career field and questioning if I'm good enough. I don't want to sit here and type all my problems to you. At the end of the day, everybody has them. Instead, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. What is your advice as far as uh, finding exactly what you want to do in life? First thing, I knew I couldn't be nine to five. Alums came back to college that were in my fraternity. I didn't even know them. They would tell me stories about commuting. I hated it so much. It scared the shit out of me. I knew I always wanted to do something creative or I was going to work outside. Um, I, was, I wasn't going to be a landscaper the rest of my life. Shout out to the landscapers and Aaron Neesmith. But I was definitely going to you know, maybe be a GC because I figured I could be my own boss. I could get a truck with a cool lumber rack on it that I wouldn't even use because I probably the GCs aren't running two by fours at the job site that much. But that's what I was going to do. That would be cool. Yeah. I just wanted that rack and a lift kit. I'm still looking at trucks now, but I don't know where that, I don't know where I'd park it. Let me just show up to the site. Like, what are you guys? Oh, oh I see what you're doing over there on the dormer. It's nice. Um, so that, that's, that's, uh, it sounds like you want to do, you know, the cool shit, but you know, what's, you know what the problem with the cool shit is, is it's really hard to do. So, if you're already going, oh man, you know, I want to be an actor, but now I'm not sure. There's no no kidding. That's the whole point is that it's really, really hard. And there's going to be all these other times. I mean, you even you haven't even experienced hard. You're still in school. All right. So, yes, if you want to go be an actor because it sounds cool to tell girls that on campus, or you want to be able to move to LA and go, oh, I'm going to do this, but you gotta, you gotta figure out like the other part of it which is very consistent too. And that is you have to figure out like what your timeline for success is. Cause if you say, I'm going to move to LA and if a year, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Well, if you do that now during COVID, it's definitely not going to happen. So I wouldn't even bother moving out to be an actor um, until a lot of this stuff is normalized. Do you have any connections? If you have none, you know, look, I had thought I had really good connections on the writing front. It's going pretty well based on my own timeline. It's not going as well as I'd want it to go. And whatever I've accomplished in trying to transition over into writing for television and movies, it's not, you know, oh, you have a podcast? What do you, you do some advice stuff at the end? Oh, that's original. 
So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, and I feel like I've established something in my life and accomplished a few things. So if you have no connections and you want to be an actor, that's great. But if you, if you're already like, oh man, but that's going to be tough. That concerns me because then you ask, all right, what keeps you motivated? I remember driving to Gainesville for the first time, about to move into college dorm, move to a city. I knew nobody. I listened to uh, the life thing with pardon my take with you, PMT, Big Cat, and the other guy. I found it very poetic listening to all of you be extremely honest and raw to an audience of thousands while I was um, to start a new chapter in my life. All right. Now he's calling me a role model, which I don't know that I don't know that I would uh, go that far with me as a role model. Here's here's. If you're going to do the cool stuff, be on air, writer, actor, comedian, musician, um, you got to be almost ridiculous about your drive. You just do. So whenever I get down on myself about like the writing thing, I didn't even get the sentence out before I make myself stop talking. Like I'll go, what if you don't even think like one day it won't? And I go, what? What are you talking about? Like that's that's not happening. Like something will happen. You got to see it going right in. Away. You got to see that ball going in. Yeah, I don't, shit. I can't even, Kyle, I'm not bullshitting you. I've had a couple moments where I was driving around where I went, hey, you know, the podcasting's going really, really well. Like what if, because I was done. I was good leaving ESPN. I was done doing the radio show thing. And I was like, no, this is really what I want to do. It's like, what if you actually don't end up doing anything? And I go, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not going to, like something will happen. And I don't know if that makes any sense to people listening but it sounds almost arrogant. It, it, but you have to be kind of be arrogant about it. You can't be the difference that I've noticed with people that want to do again, that group of cool careers, the cool stuff, and then end up doing the stuff that, and I'm not knocking anything else, but I think we understand like, you know, when you look at actors like, Oh, that would be awesome. You go, well, yeah, but unless you knew somebody or had a relative in the business, a lot of that probably sucked. So you have to have this delusional self-confidence that you or you're already way behind everybody else. I mean, there's a reason why actors are so fucked up because they had to decide at a very early age, like, no, I'm awesome. And I deserve to be in movies and television and all these no's not going to bother me. And then, you know, like maybe because there's also another element where you're, you know, this is different. I'm just a guy hosting a podcast and trying to write, but as an actor, you're a liar. You know, your, your whole, whole life is learning how to be other people. Uh, that that aren't you. So there's some deeper shit going on there that maybe I don't even understand. Um, but there's there's a lot of people, these these really, really successful people that can seem weird to you, to the public. Um, but a lot of it has to do with just being wired a way that a lot of people aren't, where when you're having those moments of self-doubt, like you don't even let them creep in. Like it's not going to happen. Like I'm going to be successful. So the fact that you're kind of like, oh, this is going to be a really tough career. I don't know if I want to do this. That's not a great sign. So I'm not saying quit. It's not, I've never said that to anybody, but you need to get a little bit more, you know, start lying to yourself for a little while. <laughs> give, give yourself three years. You're like, I'm doing this. I'm doing it. And no one's telling me, no, I don't know what your money situation is. I don't know all that stuff. But if your money situation isn't great, if you don't know anybody and you want to be an actor right out of college and COVID, like I get it, man. I used to say weird shit too. When I was in college, like, you know, I'm thinking about doing this or doing that. Or I was thinking about maybe getting into yeah, like, uh, you know what I'd like to do is maybe get hooked up with some farm in Kentucky and, and learn how to breed horses. Dude, I can't even ride. Oh, well, I guess I can ride a horse barely. But I mean, you know how dumb that sounds? I'm embarrassed to even share that with you guys 25 years later. But I don't know. You're 20. And you say dumb shit. Moving on.
God, I, I went forever on that one. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why I went so long on that one, Kyle. Okay, we get a, oh, this is a sweet one. Child of divorce problem. Hey, Ryan, I've got a situation that you as a fellow child of divorce may have some insight into. Parents split up when I was nine and my brother was 13. We stayed with our mom, had every other weekend at dad's, four years into this arrangement after a blow up over having to take us to activities over a longer Christmas visit. Our dad told us not to come anymore if we didn't want to spend time with him and his family. So let me get this straight. So it sounds like you and your brother went to his house for Christmas, but he had to like bring you to practices and stuff or maybe to other friends' houses and that he doesn't get you as much. So he was mad that you weren't spending the time with his family. Um, that's the kind of thing where I'm sure he probably regrets that if he's remotely normal. But I can also understand too, like, uh, you know, the dad, the dad wants you to be his sons and he wants you to be, make the most of that time and you're younger and you're like, get me the hell out of here. I want to go spend time with my friends. I mean, this is it's not new, um, but he should have, it sucks that he blew up at you and then basically and was like, don't come here anymore. That's, that's really harsh, man. Uh, and clearly you haven't forgotten it because it's the third line in your email uh, as you're an adult. Now, I definitely don't want kids emailing the show. So let me double check. Here. Okay. All right. Since then, my father and I talk a little bit, mostly around holidays or when I take a trip home and have a meal, but my brother hasn't spoken to him in 18 years. All right. So you guys are older. So this is something you're still hanging on, which I totally get. There are things that have happened. You, know, you don't have to be um, a kid who had parents that were divorced, but there's certain little moments of stuff that your parents will say to you that you're never, ever going to forget. And you can get over it. You can not get over it. You know, um, I haven't always done the best job getting over it. So you bringing that up, like that's a thing that happened and it's the main part of what you're talking about here. All right. So I'm consistently put in between. So you mentioned your brother. I haven't talked to him in 18 years. I'm consistently put in between the two. My dad will ask me to forward happy birthday holiday messages, which I don't want to do when my brother is trying to have a good day. My brother does not want to give my dad his phone number because if he wants it, he could find it. What's a good way to get myself out of the middle of this? This is going to sound a bit harsh, but it's probably what you need to hear. You've allowed yourself to be put in the middle of this whole deal. Okay. You're all grown ups now and it sounds like it didn't go great. And that sucks. Um, as we all know, there's nothing you can do about it and fix it after the fact. And I really do think parents get too raw of a deal in the post childhood evaluation of like, can you imagine being around anyone for as long as you're around your parents? Like you have buddies you've written off because of something stupid. And the, Number of opportunities your parents have to say something to you or do something that you didn't like. <laughs> I don't care how great your parents are. If you want to find a problem with something and say, oh, this is the root of this, or this is why I'm like this because they did this and all these different things. Like you can do that all day. You can keep doing it. You can carry it on for years and years and years. And I can only tell you this is a complete waste of fucking time. It just is. It's a complete waste of time. So like, would you want to have kids that you know, for the most part, you did the best you could and you got divorced and, and you tried and you made some mistakes and that they told you that they don't feel the same way about you because of this thing you said to them when they were 11. Like that's that's just as harsh the other way around. So I kind of get your role with this because if you have a bunch of kids um, that all went through the divorce, like every one of the kids is going to process it differently. Not all of the siblings are going to be on the same page. I have that situation as well. But you're grown enough that if you're not comfortable forwarding these messages to your brother because then it's reigniting this 
memory, this situation, the dynamic, this relationship that you don't feel like being part of it, you need to just take yourself out of it. Let your brother and your father have the issues with each other. And I know you can sit there and say, well, it's my brother and it's my dad. You can still be your dad and he's clearly still going to be your brother if you're that close. But if you're constantly being put in the middle in this awkward situation, it's up to you to get you out of it and just be real forceful about it. Go to your brother and be like, hey, by the way, I'm not talking to you about dad anymore. And it sounds like he doesn't want to talk about him anyway, so problem solved. And you can go to your dad and be like, hey, you and I are going to be cool to whatever level it is. It's not going to be a Hallmark card here. Um, it's very clear you don't see him that often. But if you're doing um, something here where it's your father and you want to be like, look, it's still my father. And there are people that will have that. Be like, hey, I don't get along with this parent. But you know, at the end of the day, when I get that call, I want to at least have been good with them and not have talked to him for 20 years because I think that's something that should skills still scare the shit of you, depending on how bad it was. You know, whatever. Some of you, some of you guys have all the right in the world to never ever speak to your parents again. But I uh, I feel like more than anything, you've you've kind of let this go on for so much longer because you're the younger brother because you still see something in your dad and maybe you're hoping deep down like everybody's going to be happy again. Well, you can't solve that. You've probably tried. You've been this arbiter in the middle for a long time, and the only way it's going to go away is just stare them both down separately and go, "Hey, I'm I'm out. I'm not doing this shit anymore. It doesn't make me feel good. It's never like when's it been good? Why would you keep doing something over and over again? That's doesn't sound like it's ever been worth it. So just cut him off and say, look, hey, you need to look up my brother's number or not get it to me. But I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you're trying to connect that whole thing. But like in the future, if you want to hit up my brother and tell him happy birthday, you can do it on your own. I'm not going to be a part of it. And you've removed the stress. The stress is not going to go away because you know it's, it's something that clearly still bothers you. But why keep inviting the stress back into your life around the holidays and birthdays all the time when it doesn't seem like this ever goes any different. You're just doing it over and over again. Life advice, RR, Gmail, at gmail.com. And we're uh, really excited. We have some really famous actors, not our guy from Florida. He's only 20, but we have some famous actors that are going to be joining the show. So excited. So excited.